Um, and I want to bring a message this morning that I just felt prompted actually to bring off the, the back of last week's message. Because what I tend to do is we have this um, kind of routine in our house. We, we go home um, and Hannah, Hannah, Hannah cooks, I wash up. We're both gifted in those areas. All right. <laughs> so so I'll do the washing up and I'm, I'm doing the washing up. And what I tend to do, and I'm a little bit narcissistic, I'll, if, it's, if it's ready on time, I'll try and watch the preach back. Because I like to kind of watch myself and pick up how, how kind of how's it gone. And I got to be honest, I kind of felt that I didn't quite do the, 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 the narrative of Joseph justice. And I, I want to pick up on that. But we spoke about conflict resolution and how we do that biblically. How do we uh, do our res- conflict resolution in a way that honors God, restores relationship? You know, Paul says, strive for full reconciliation, not just partial reconciliation. God, you know, Paul doesn't say, you know, just when you have an argument, just say, oh, no, 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 we'll leave it there. He says, strive for full reconciliation. But, but we know that's always possible. That's why Paul says, strive for it, try for it. And, and I just need to be clear, if we're talking about abuse or, or someone causing you harm, and, and, and that's really hard. And, and there are times we need to put barriers in place. There's, there's wisdom in that. But, but one of the things we looked at and we talked about, one of the things God does is actually it can change our heart towards that person. That yes, they hurt me. Yes, they betrayed me. Yes, they, they, they did this awful thing to me, but I can still bless them. I can still pray for them. And if you remember last week, that's where we ended, where Joseph says, listen, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He says, don't be afraid. I'll take care of you and I'll take care of your children. You tried to do this to me, but you know what? I get to bless you. And as I was praying on and reflecting on that this week, I felt I need to go back into the story because the question I kind of asked myself is kind of, I try and watch things if I I didn't know the notes and I didn't know where I was going. And and the question I kept asking myself was, how did Joseph get to that point? How did he get to that point where he could say, okay, I forgive you. And and we we talked about how Joseph had the right heart and and he did this conflict resolution in an incredibly powerful way. But, But how did he get there? How did he get to that point where he could say, I'll bless you? I'll take care of you. And I, and I got challenged with that thought because for some of us, we're not, in, we're not in our Egypt moment yet. We haven't got to Egypt. So, so how do we get there? And what I want to do is at the end of the narrative, you look at the, 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 the Joseph says this, don't be upset, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me. How did Joseph get to that point? He said, he sent me here to preserve your lives. All this happened for a purpose that I could save you. He talks about the famine. And, and he says, but God sent me. God sent me. God sent me. And now he says, now I work for Pharaoh. I'm the manager of his entire palace. I'm the governor of all Egypt. He says, but God did this. Later on, he says to him, you know, you intended to harm me. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many People, how did Joseph get there? Because it's an incredible story, and I want to just do the story a little bit justice this morning, because here's my question. How did Joseph know? How did he know that God had brought him to this place? Because how did he get from being this this battered and, and bruised teenager to running a palace? And I came away Sunday, and I'll be honest with you, I felt like I'd only given you half the story. So I want to do a bit of a prequel if I can. In this world of prequels, and I want to look back at Joseph's 
story and look at how did he get to this point where he could say and do the things he did. And, and there are so many great stories and, and, and narratives in the Bible where we read that the people did something great, but in all those great things, there was a journey. Every great person we read about in the, in the Bible has a journey. God has made a promise to or said, this, this is my plan, but there's a journey involved. Noah had a promise there'd be a flood. He had a promise there'd be a flood. His family will be saved, but he had to go, do you know how long it took him to build the ark? 100 years. He had to go on a 100-year faith journey to build an ark in a land where it didn't rain. Abraham had a promise. But there was a faith journey attached. Romans 4 says that Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in in Abraham's life, there were tensions. There were conflicts. There were problems. There were things he didn't know how he'd overcome. But it says this, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Abraham had to go on a faith journey. Moses had a promise, but there was a faith journey. Jacob had a promise, but there was a faith journey. Gideon had a promise, but there was a faith journey. David had a promise, but there was a faith journey. Before the Israelites went into exile in Babylon, that God promised the Israelites they'll come home, but there's a journey first. And sometimes that's what makes conflict so tough, because there's a journey to it. And sometimes we we either don't know why it's happening or we don't know how it's going to end. And we live in that tension of of both the now and the not yet. Because we believe the Bible says God is working all things together for good. But here's the promise. He's working and it's not good yet. There's a journey. He's going to work this for good. And there are moments when it doesn't feel that way. You know, we know God is ultimately good, but in the fog and the, and the smoke of the conflict, you know what? We can't see it. But when we look at Joseph's story, it's fascinating. And I want to take you a bit through a bit of a journey through Genesis, if I can, because if we start with Joseph's story, all the conflict Joseph has, everything he goes through comes after he's had a dream. God gives him a dream. God gives him a vision of something that's going to happen in his future. He doesn't understand it yet, and he, and he doesn't understand how, but, but somehow this, this, this dream becomes the source of the conflict he's just about to go through. And, it, and, it's, it's, and as you read the story, if you know the narrative, and we'll, we'll touch on it uh, in this next couple of minutes. If you look at it from the outside, you think, wow, he's getting further and further and further and further and further away from the dream that he was given. Really interesting. So we're going we're gonna to jump into Genesis, and we first encounter Joseph, and we know he's, he's, he's the, kind of the favorite son. He's like the cool son, and his father gives him this robe kind of to say, you're my special son, you're my chosen son. And, and Joseph has this recurring dream, and he sees his brothers bowing down to him. He says he sees his mother and his father bow down to him. And, and, and Joseph is he's acutely aware of the greatness that's within him. He's aware of this promise, interestingly, Jacob tells him what his his dream means. It's Jacob that says, this is what your dream means. So he knows something's going to happen, but the the thing he does is he speaks out his dream. And some of us might think, you know what, that's his first mistake, but I'll I'll come into that because it says that he speaks out his dream and his brothers are furious. And then when when, when the the journey goes on, it says Joseph's brothers saw him coming. They'd gone off to kind of do, uh, do shepherding things. They've gone off to shepherd. I don't know what. But it says, when Joseph's brother saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Now look what they call him. Here comes the 
dreamer. It's his dream that got him into this problem. Come on, let's kill him. Let's see what becomes of his dreams. Not about the coat. It's about his dreams. It's the dreams that infuriate the brothers enough to kill him. But here's the thing. If Joseph didn't speak out his dream, he'd never been on his way to Egypt. And I'll come on to that in a minute, because everything starts with Joseph speaking out his dream. And I want to encourage you, if you've, if you've got a dream, speak it out. If God's given you a dream, speak it out. You know, about six years ago, we, we felt that it wasn't like a physical dream in the night, but we, we felt God was talking to us about moving to Wales. We didn't know how that looked. We didn't know when that was going to happen. We didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't know where we were going to... We, we knew nothing. We just had this dream about coming back to Wales. And we, we prayed about it and we talked about it and we prayed some more and it just wouldn't kind of die down. And we, we said, right, we need to go to our senior leaders. So we, we went, took our senior leaders out for lunch. We said, listen, we've just got this dream. Two hours later, the head of AOG Wales rings me and said, I've got this church in Newbridge. And I went, nope. No, but, but you know what I mean? That if we hadn't spoken out that dream, what would have happened? And I want to encourage you, if you've got a dream, speak it out. Um, this, this story didn't happen to me, but a, a pastor in America, um, he had a dream and he was doing a message on bucket lists. You know what? The things you want to do before you kick the bucket. And he said on his bucket list was to fly in an, F, in an F-16 jet. And he said, I know that can't happen. Because a civilian cannot fly in an F-16. You cannot do it. The only way a civilian can fly in an F-16 jet is you need signed permission from the president. But he said, but this is on my list and I'm speaking out my dream. He didn't know in the congregation were two generals from the US Air Force. This is a true story. I've seen the video. They went back to the president and they got him to sign it. Six weeks later, he flew in an F-16 jet. And I want to encourage you, church, if you've got a dream, you ne- speak it out because you never know who's listening. My dream is for a membership at Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> just speaking that out. VIP membership, mine, not just the normal kind of... That's my dream. But when we read that Jacob sends Joseph to Shechem to, to check on his brothers, and, and while he's there, jo- Joseph goes to find his brothers, and his brothers aren't there. And it, this, I love this line because he starts to kind of wander around, and it says, a man met him as he was wandering. In, in some translations, it says a certain man. Now, who's this man? No idea. And this man says, what are you doing? What are you looking for? Now, just take a step back. Joseph's wandering. He's just wandering through the fields randomly, no direction, and he sees a man, a random man in the fields. And the man says, what are you looking for? And and it's interesting. How did the man know he was looking for something? Could have just been out for a walk. But then Joseph says, I'm trying to find my brothers. Do you have any idea where they're grazing their flocks? The man said, oh, they've left here. I overheard them say, let's go to Dothan. How did he know they were Joseph's brothers? And we don't know who this man is, and there are commentators who suggest it's an angel. But if Joseph never met that man, he'd never go to Dothan. And I want you to see that the providence of God, that he would place one man in that place just to say they're over there. And it changed everything. 
Because if Joseph doesn't find his brothers, he might have gone home. And if he'd gone home, he might have been killed the next day or the next day. He might have been sold to another set of traders who went a totally different way. He may never have got to Egypt. He may never have got to prison. And he may never have met Pharaoh because this one man stood in the right spot and said, hey, they're over there. Because Dothan was on the trade route to Egypt. It was only by going to Dothan that actually Joseph could be in the right place to go to Egypt. Any other pit in any other town or village that would have delayed that journey to Egypt or more likely signaled the end of it. Isn't it funny? Could we be the man or the woman who just says, hey, they're over there. It's over there. That church you're looking for, it's over there. And we never know the journey we could put someone on. And uh, Joseph is captured by his brothers. He's thrown into a pit and these hairy Ishmaelites come along. And, and it said this, that the traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar. And I get this, who's Potiphar? He's an officer of Pharaoh. Potiphar basically was, was Pharaoh's head of security. So, so, so just get this, out of, out of all the rich people in Egypt, Joseph gets sold to the one who works closest with Pharaoh. Can you just see the providence of God in every step? He was, he was in the right pit. He saw the right man, sorry. Then he got to the right pit. And now he's in this place. And Joseph's got a choice at this point because he could either kind of embrace where God's brought him or, or he could turn his back on God. And that's the choice. And, and I wonder how many of us have said this or known people who said this. God, I don't like where you've put me. So rather than believe you to work this out, God, I'm done. I think the COVID lockdown did that for a lot of people. God, I don't like this. So rather than believe you to work through it, I'm just going to give up on it and I'm going to go and worship something else. You know, one of the most famous passages in the Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11. We all know it. We stick it on Pinterest. We, we Instagram it. We, we frame it. We love it. But what we forget is God is talking to a nation he's just about to take into exile. It's a nation that's just about to uproot and move hundreds of miles to be in captivity to, to the Babylonians. And it's why we have to read the whole thing in context, because this is what he says. He says, listen, I'm just about to turn your whole life upside down, but build houses and settle down. Plant gardens, eat what they produce. Hey, hey you're going to be moving, so, so you might as well plan to stay there. And don't just kind of sort yourself out. Marry, have sons, daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so they can have sons and daughters. Increase, do not decrease. He's saying keep going. Don't give up on this. Keep your faith. And then he says this, seek the peace and prosperity of the city of which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Do you know what? Pray for your enemies. Pray for these people because if this place prospers, so will you. Why does God tell them to do that? The next verse, because he knows he has plans for them. Their plans to prosper them. Their plans to give them a hope and a future if they stick with the journey, if they hold on to the promise. And then we get the next bit because God says, and then you'll call on me. I'm going to bring you back to me. Then you'll pray to me. I'll listen. This wasn't intended to push you away. This was intended to bring you close, to find me 
in this. He says, you seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. So when your relationship with me gets, gets deeper, I'll bring you back. I'll gather you from the nations where I've banished you. I'll bring you back to the place. God says, listen, trust me and I'll bring you home. Trust me in the journey. I was thinking about, um, you know, we're doing Bibles. We're doing Bible study and we're looking at the story of Ruth. And this just fascinated me how um, when you read the opening bits of, of, of Ruth, you read about Abimelech who kind of leaves the land God has promised to them. So Canaan was the land. God said, this is your land. This is the promise. If you stick with me, you'll have everything you ever need. And there's a, there's a famine in the land. And Abimelech says, right, I've had enough of this. The grass is greener over there. Off I go. Now, to my reading, Abimelech did the total wrong thing. He turned his back on the favor of God. He turned his back. He didn't. He stopped trusting God and tried to kind of find a new life elsewhere. But if he hadn't done that, we didn't ever got Ruth. And if we didn't get Ruth, we don't get David. And if we don't get David, can you see how God works? Even when someone has made a horrific decision, God still says, no, 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 I'll work that for good. But Joseph didn't have this promise yet. And he could have said, no, I'm done. Thanks very much. I'm going to just live a new life here, worship the Egyptian gods. But it says that he works hard. It says he builds a life for himself. I, I've no doubt he prayed for his master. No doubt. I mean, I think Joseph says, listen, God, I don't know why I'm here, but I know you're in control. I don't know why I'm going through this, but I'm going to serve you here just as I would as if I was back home. And, and a rough guess, Joseph serves Potter for about six or seven years. And, and he works hard and he impresses Potiphar. And the text says the Lord was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. Doesn't feel like it. Might not even look like it. But, but to this point, when we step out of the narrative, we can see that God has been in every step so far, it says that things went well, that Joseph, he did what? He prospered because he sought the peace and the prosperity that the land had been sent to. He moved, he actually moved into his master's house. And, and, it, and you know, and we, we can see this, so I'm going to try and go quickly because I appreciate time is going. But Joseph is going great. But in the, in the background, you're probably thinking, well, even when I can't see it, God's working. Even when I can't see it, God's Moving and Joseph became head of the household, and, and, and you know, it said that the Potiphar left everything to Joseph's care. He was number two in the house. Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Joseph has, has gone from this sole slave to running a household, but he impressed someone else. And if you know the story as well as impressing Potiphar, Joseph also impresses his wife. Josephus, he's a Jewish historian, and he writes this history of the Jews. It's called The Antiquities of the Jews. Big, thick book. If you're a geek, it's brilliant. If you're not, leave it alone. But I love what he says, because he says, Potiphar's wife has, quote, naughty inclinations. She's beset with a naughty passion. And, and in the story, she tries to get Joseph to sleep with her, but because of Joseph's character, he kind of refuses. And eventually, she kind of launches herself at him, grabs his cloak. Joseph scarpers, but in the struggle, he leaves his cloak behind, and she uses it as evidence to accuse him of something he didn't do. Uh, and we've got to read the text carefully, because it says Potiphar was furious. 
I'm not sure all of his rage is aimed at Joseph. And I say that because of what Potiphar does next. It says, Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and threw him into jail. Now, first of all, if Joseph had been accused of doing what he was doing, he wouldn't be thrown into jail. He'd have been executed on the spot. That, that, was, that was how it was. But Potiphar puts him in prison. And not just any prison. This is the prison where the king's prisoners, Pharaoh's prisoners, were locked up. This is, this is not just, this is an M&S prison. It's the best prison you could have been in. It's the king's prison. Potiphar is Pharaoh's head of security. This is a prison for Pharaoh's prisoners. It's the only prison in Egypt that would have gotten Joseph access to Pharaoh. And later on in the story, you know, he, he meets the butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker and, and everyone else. But, but they're Pharaoh's servants. They don't serve anyone else. They're Pharaoh's servants. That's why they're in Pharaoh's prison. And, and yet it's still prison and it's still dark and it's still smelly. But it's only in this prison that Joseph can get close to Pharaoh. Can you see how God works all the little details together to make his plans come? I want to encourage you, church, if you feel like where you are just seems the, the furthest place away from where you think you should be, can I suggest you might be exactly where God wants you? Because he wants to launch you into the next thing he has for you. Romans 8.28, we know God causes all. Doesn't say some things. God causes all things to work together for good there's a caveat to those who love God and those who are called according to his purposes. So, so Joseph does what he's done before. He's in prison, but he, he doesn't give up. He works hard. He builds a life. He probably prays for the guards because if the prison runs well, he'll be all right. And we, we read this, and I'll, I'll be really, really quick with this, but he, he rises up kind of through the prison ranks. If, 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 you, if you can do that, he becomes head of the prison. It says the head jailer didn't even check on Joseph. Why? Because God was with him. I don't like the band back up because we're, we're coming into this narrative and, and Joseph eventually gets two cellmates, the baker and the wine taster, and, and they have these dreams. It's fascinating because for 11 years now, we haven't had a mention of dreams. Dreams haven't been mentioned at all for 11 years in the, in the narrative of the text. And now we have two people coming into prison and they have dreams. Imagine you're Joseph. 11 years ago, you had a dream. You spoke it out and now you're in prison miles from home. And someone comes up to you and says, hey, I've had a dream. Do you know what I tell them to do? Keep it to yourself. I spoke out my dream and I was, I was beaten, I was trafficked, I was sold, I was put into to slavery, I was arrested for something I didn't do and, and now I'm in prison because I spoke out my dream and you're coming to me with your dream. But look what Joseph says. Interpreting dreams is God's business. Go ahead. Tell me your dream. Joseph still knew who he was. He still knew who God was. And he said, well, I, I can still believe in my dream and, and God can help you with yours. And he interprets the dreams. 
And the interpretations come true, and the cupbearer is restored to his position. But if you read the text, it says, but Joseph is left in the prison. The text says, actually, he's forgotten about. And again, I want to suggest Joseph's got a choice. He can give up on God, or he continue to hold on to his promise. Two years later, someone else has a dream. Pharaoh. Pharaoh has this dream, and, 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 um, and the, 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 the uh, wine taster suddenly remembers, I know a guy who can interpret dreams, and they, they bring Joseph into, uh, in front of Pharaoh. And, and I love this because we can see the journey of Joseph and the faith he has in God because he says this, it's beyond my power to do this, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph says, I can't do this but I know a God who can. Eight, nine years sitting in the the slime and the dark and and the mud, and when he finally comes out, he still gives God the glory. And when we read the rest of the story, we see Joseph, he's promoted, he gets promoted again to number two in the whole Egypt, and the famine that happens, and, and his brother's coming by in front of him to ask him, to ask him for food. And I want you to catch this, because Joseph at this point is 39 years old. His dream of seeing them bow before him happened 22 years ago. Some of us have a dream and we get upset when it doesn't happen the next day or the next month, or or the next year. Joseph waited 22 years. He crossed continents. He was beaten. He was sold. He was put in prison, but he still had his dream, and he waited for 22 years, and suddenly now his brother and and his father, they bow before him, and throughout all of Joseph's story, we see this repeating phrase time and time again, the Lord was with Joseph. How do I know he was with Joseph? Because God says in, in those days in Jeremiah, he says in those days, in those days of struggle, in those days of conflict, in those days when it's really tough, when you pray, I'll listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, if you put me first, if you give everything over to me, if you seek my will, if you look for me in every situation, what happens, you'll find me. And Joseph knew that throughout his life, if he sought after God, he knew God would be with him. That's why he can say to his brothers, hey, you intended to harm me, but I know God intended it for good. He brought me here so I could save the lives of people. Three times he says, God sent me here. That's how Joseph can forgive his brothers. That he gets to a place where it's not about him, it's not about his hurt, it's not about his pain, it's not about his strength, it's not about his ability, but it's about he's able to look back at his life and see that in every step God was there. In every step God was working. I just want to invite us to bow our heads, and I appreciate time is rapidly going. The band are going to lead us in a song and and the thing with Joseph is he could only get to a place where he could resolve his conflict when he knew that God had done a work in his heart first and I want to invite us this morning to allow God to work on ours you know last week we prayed God search my heart 
This week, I want to allow us to God to build our faith. That we know even when we don't see it, he's working. The song starts with this line, you are here working in this place. Let, let this place this morning be your heart. You're here working in this place, my heart. And it's our heart that sings, I worship you because you're a way maker. Because your promises are yes and amen. Because your word always accomplishes what it sets out to do. Your word never returns void. Your light to the darkness, strength to the weak, courage to the meek. And so God, this morning we give you our open hearts for you to work in. Because we know when we call on you, when we turn to you, we know you're here. So would you move in this place, in our hearts this morning? Or would you show us where you're working and give us faith to trust you, even when we don't see it? Thank you, God.